RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 305, Blood Oath. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, our Mission Log mission is to watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart in Mission Log style for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands up to viewing and reviewing for Mission Log fans of Mission Log. This week, it's Blood Oath, the episode where three classic Klingons return in an errand of vengeance, also known as Blood Oath, the one where Deep Space Nine permanently ruined Star Trek by changing the look of the Klingons, and there is never a Star Trek again. Mm, I feel you on that. Though I was thinking that this week, Blood Oath uh, was the one where they say the title of the episode more times than an episode of Mission Log says the name Mission Log. Yeah, there is that, too. Uh, Oh, also see Booby Trap. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Yeah, it's hard to imagine, John, that there's going to be much trivia. I mean, with three characters so new, so fresh, I mean, there can't really be a lot to say because what could we possibly know about Kang, Kor, and Koloth? Yeah, I just, uh, well, wait, uh, other than one of those guys is on The Simpsons. What? <laughs> you know, the, the aliens from The Simpsons. You know? that, oh, my, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. You have Koloth and Kodos. Oh, that's kind of awesome. I did yeah, not, oh, yeah. I didn't have, here's the thing. I know yeah. we've been watching a lot of Star Trek over the past several years. I yeah. was just talking to somebody yesterday about the fact that I haven't watched The Simpsons. I can't even tell you the last time. And I know now yeah. I've just opened myself up to all kinds of hate mail and whatever. Right. Oh, but, oh, wait, wait. But before we get more mail, Kang and Kodos. I'm sorry. Kang okay. and Kodos. Not, not Koloff. Yeah. Right. But okay. yes. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, no. Yeah. I didn't realize <laughs> that. So, so there's one bit of trivia knocked out. Can there possibly be more? <laughs> uh, I doubt it. But I'll try. Today's episode, Blood Oath, was written by Peter Allen Fields. Of course, Peter had a huge impact on DS9, and this was a story he was really kicking around as a riff on Seven Samurai, the 1954 Kurosawa film, uh, which had an incredible release by Criterion. Seriously, if you haven't watched it, go order that now. I'll wait. Now, he didn't have those old classic Klingons in his original script, though. Enter Robert Hewitt Wolf, who suggested reviving some TOS characters, and that's how they found their story. The episode was directed by Wiener Kolbe, frequent contributor 
since the early days of TNG. Uh, the most recent DS9 episode of his that we covered was Armageddon Game. Now we have to talk about locations. Yeah, I'm a food geek, but I'm also an architecture geek. So here we go. In 1906, five years after their marriage, George Millard and his wife Anne had Frank Lloyd Wright design a home for them in Highland Park, Illinois. The first Millard house was pretty typical of the prairie-style homes Wright was building in Illinois and elsewhere, a foot in the Victorian era and a foot in the 20th century with cleaner lines, long horizontal surfaces, and more efficient use of space. Fast forward to 1913, they moved to California and started to devise a home in Pasadena, but George Millard died in 1918. Anne carried on, though, and in 1923, she moved into what would be the first of Frank Lloyd Wright's molded cement block or textile block homes. This is the home we see in today's episode, made over a little bit with some matte painting work to be the albino Klingon's castle. Now, really, there aren't many changes once we're on the location, though. Uh, it is a super significant place, one that is on the National Register of Historic Places, and it's as good a place as any to settle an old Klingon score. Now, of course, they did not shoot the interior of that house. That set was a redress of the temple set used in TNG on the episode Masks. Oh, and there is a, a great little effect of uh, Koloth practicing with a bat left and then stopping right at Jadzia's face. That reverse shot reminds me of the Chaplin film. I don't know if you've seen it, Ken, where uh, Charlie Chaplin is stuck inside a suit of armor. And then there's a whole sequence of him narrowly avoiding disaster that was shot entirely backwards. Mm -mm. You know the one? Like an no. axe is coming down over his back. And it, yeah, good stuff. But very simple little camera trick done here. Now let's move on to guest stars. Bill Bullender plays the albino. He's mostly been in small roles uh, in some big features like JFK, Robocop 2, Nixon, and Dante's Peak, and a number of TV guest roles. He has a recurring stint on JAG and even made it to the Weird Science TV series a couple of times. This is his only Trek appearance. But let's talk about three actors for whom this is not their only Trek appearance. Koloff is played by William Campbell. Now, he originated that same role in 1967 in The Trouble with Tribbles. We would see him again in the animated series, but that time voiced by James Doohan. And yes, Bill was not just known to Star Trek fans as a Klingon. He also appeared as Trelane in the TOS episode, The Squire of Gothos. Michael Ansara reprises his role of Kang from TOS Day of the Dove. And we will catch up with Kang yet again in Voyager. We'll see more of Michael, though, in a later non-Klingon guest spot on DS9. And finally, John Colicos plays Kor, the role he originated in TOS, Aaron of Mercy. I'll mention again here that I loved him as Baltar in the 1978 Battlestar Galactica. And the good news is that we will see him twice more in DS9. Kang, Kor, and Koloth are getting the band back together. But will they let Jadzia join in? Prologue. Quark's complained to Odo about a Klingon who's hogging a hollow suite. He's paid for one hour, but he's been in there for three, fighting and refighting the same battle and drinking. 
Odo tells Quark to power down the hollow suite, which draws out the Klingon. Odo tells the Klingon that he's won the battle, then takes him to a holding cell to sleep it off. In his office, Odo is surprised by the appearance of Koloth. He asks what charges the incarcerated Klingon, Kor, is facing. Odo says there are no charges, and he's happy to release Kor into Koloth's custody. But Koloth is disgusted by Kor's state, bidding Odo keep him before storming out. Act 1. All this Klingoning has made Odo late for something with Kira and Ops, though whatever that was will have to wait. When Jadzia hears that Kor and Koloth are on DS9, she heads with Odo back to the holding cell. She tells Odo to let Kor out, then convinces Kor that she is Kurzon Dax. Eh, well was, it's the whole Trill thing. She's Jadzia now, but Kor could not be happier to see his old friend. The two head off to find Koloth, who is not as impressed with the new Dax. He says Kang must not have known. Oh yeah, Kang, he's on his way, bringing the four of them back together after decades. Just then, Kang shows up to tell them he's found the albino. Kang's the hardest to convince of all three, though Jadzia says she is Dax, godfather to Kang's son. Dax, who took a blood oath with the three Klingons to seek vengeance. Kang's starting to believe. Now what Jadzia's in for is pretty brutal. Apparently the vengeance the Klingons seek has something to do with their sons. The albino has been in hiding for 25 years. Hiding from them, apparently. Though Kang now knows where. His security is lax. Forty guards from what Kang's heard. The plan is simple. They'll find the albino, cut out his heart, and eat it before his very eyes. This sort of seems to trouble Dax. Act 2. Kang and Jadzia talk over the blood oath. While Kang accepts that Dax is Dax, there's a difference between Curzon and Jadzia. Kang knows that contracts don't follow Trill from one host to another, but Jadzia says she knows that the Klingon blood oath can't be broken. Kang says Klingon honor isn't what it used to be, and blood oaths don't mean as much as they did. Though Jadzia says Kang can't believe that, he won't be moved. He releases Jadzia from Kurzon's obligation. She's not ready to walk away, though. In Ops, Jadzia asks Kira about killing. How many times she killed while she was in the underground, what it was like. Kira says she doesn't want to talk about it. To lighten the mood, she asks Dax, Why? You're not thinking of killing someone, are you? She takes Dax's silence as a yes. And Dax explains the blood oath. Eighty years ago, there was a band of marauders led by an albino, raiding Klingon colonies. Three Klingon ships were sent to stop them, captained by Koloth, Kor, and Kang. While most of the marauders were captured, the albino escaped, vowing to take the lives of the firstborn of the three captains. And eventually he did. And now they want revenge. And Jadzia is thinking of carrying out Kurzon's oath. She remembers Kang's son, her godson. Remembers his funeral. He was named Dax for Curzon Dax. Kira throws Jadzia's words back at her, reminding her that every new life for a trill is a new life. It has to be. Otherwise, you're paying old debts forever. But Jadzia feels this debt, even though the Klingons have released her from it. Seeing that she's losing the discussion, Kira does warn Dax of one thing. When you take someone's life... 
you lose part of your own as well. Back in Quark's core is indulging in drink and... company. Dax interrupts his fun to ask his help. Please prevail upon Kang and Koloth to let me join the party to kill the albino. But Kor says it's no good. They won't listen to him. And he's not as great as he once was. He's ashamed. Though before she leaves, Dax tells Kor that her memory of Kor is of a great warrior. Dax takes her case to Koloth, practicing battle moves in the Hollow Suite. He rejects her again, saying that Curzon's move, joining their blood oath, was political. She says that's a lie. So he tries a different argument, saying that she can't handle herself in battle. So she calls forth a Batleth from the Hollow Suite and challenges Koloth. While she eventually falls to him, she handles the fight really well. Koloth says her presence against the albino will do them honor. Though Kang, who's entered the Hollow Suite along with Kor, says Jadzia will not be part of the quest. Act 3. But she will. She basically prods Kang into it, telling him that he has no right to deny her her vengeance, that he dishonors himself by putting his honor above hers. And maybe he's right. Maybe Klingon honor isn't what it used to be. Fine. Come with us and get yourself killed. You know, there is somebody else who doesn't want Jadzia to be part of this quest. Commander Sisko. He's heard of Jadzia's plan from Kira, and he won't allow it. He can't let a Federation officer kill in Curzon's name or anyone else's. She says the blood oath with the Klingons was important to Curzon, and this is justice, as far as the Klingons are concerned. So what am I supposed to do? Let's say you do this and come back alive. Am I just supposed to let you go back to business as usual, as if you haven't just gone and helped kill a guy? Dak says that'll be up to Cisco, then heads out the door. Act 4. En route to the albino, the three Klingons and the Trill talk over strategy. Dax doesn't think the albino's defenses can be as weak as they've heard. They have to expect strong resistance and sneak around accordingly. Kane can't go for that. He won't kill the albino by stealth. He wants the albino to see them coming, figuring any guards might be too confused by the attack to defend properly. All agree. Today is a good day to die. Koloth and Kor go to sharpen their blades. Alone with Kang, Jadzia calls him out. She's as prepared to die as he is, but she's not ready to commit suicide. Yet, that's how Kang is treating this. Like a suicide mission. Yeah, it pretty much is. The albino knows they're coming. He's made a deal with Kang. One last glorious battle. He'll send no more than 40 warriors out against them. Sure, Kang would like to win, but he'll settle for dying with honor. Not surprisingly, Jadzia will not. She'd rather live and start talking over other options. How about we disable their phasers from orbit, even the odds a bit? Her science background makes that doable. Of course, their phasers won't work either, but they're good going hand-to-hand. Back on board with the idea of winning, Kang says, perhaps it's a good day to live. Act 5. Even before it starts, the battle doesn't go as planned. While the albino had promised a fair fight, he set a mine at the keep's entrance. So, they'll find another way in. The rest of Act 5 is action, sneaking around, killing guards, creating a diversion. 
The Klingons in the trill breach the defenses, then enter the albino's keep. Though they're great at hand-to-hand, the guards are just too many. Koloth falls. Kor takes a hit. Kang, though. Kang makes it to the albino and loses. Gutted by the albino. As he mocks Kang, he hears Jadzia approach, and he monologues, taunting her, paying no attention to what's going on behind him, where a not-quite-dead Kang pulls a knife and stabs the albino in the back. He thanks Jadzia for leaving the death blow for him. Then Kang is no more. Chorus sings, signifying the passing of his comrades and the battle's end. Back at Deep Space Nine... Jadzia returns to her post. Sisko says nothing to her, but he doesn't stop her either. The end. Hey, Ken, uh, both of us obviously watched these episodes a couple of times, three, sometimes four times mm-hmm. before we do uh, a mission log episode. And I don't know if you notice hmm. uh but the klingons uh kang kor and koloth in this episode look different from those same klingons in earlier episodes of star trek hold on a second you're saying these are the same klingons that were in earlier star trek you will see they have the same names yeah well i thought that was but i mean look- like i know more than one person named john you're telling me that this core is actually the core from tos same core Played by the same guy. What? Okay. Well, it's just too confusing because they don't look anything like them. I mean, how can you have... Completely different. So you're saying this is a Klingon story about Klingons that look different than other Klingons, but it's still a Klingon story? Yeah, I think where I'm headed with this uh, is that this... It, it looks like Star Trek. Yeah. It, it, they, they have Star Trek in the name. Yeah. Clearly, this is not Star Trek. Yeah, I know. All right. I know you're making a funny haha because you're talking about, uh, well, obviously, you're talking about how different the Klingons look in Star Trek Into Darkness. But. Yeah. Well, uh, or the motion picture. Oh, yes. Uh, well, they do. See, yeah. they don't look different in the motion picture, though, than uh, the Klingons. I. <clears throat> Did these Klingons look surprisingly different from each other to you, though? This is actually a serious question. Core seemed. How do you mean? Well, Core seemed more pudgy, and I don't know if they were like doing that <laughs> well, for you know John Colicos, or if they were doing mm-hmm. that because like oh well, Klingons look different because sometimes Klingons look different. But I could see um, Koloth and Kang in a room together, and I, obviously you can see you know Core in the same room because we do. But he he, yeah. he had a different he had a bit of a different feel to him. Like I wondered if that was actually the makeup people, sort of accounting for a bit more. Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, he actually talks about it, right? There's there's more of me than there used to be. I mean, he's, he's yeah. a bigger guy, uh, certainly than the other two actors. Maybe it was that. I don't know. I, I think they might have patted him up a little bit. I mean, he, even in his Galactica days, like that that was something that I kind of liked about Baltar is that he he wasn't this like super cut you know the, this built imposing he was kind of this like middle-aged little doughy you know yeah he, he was just a, a little yeah 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 uh, so john john Colicos, uh, you know maybe a little heavier than he was in the 60s playing that role but i i think they exaggerated it for uh for this episode just to to show yeah <laughs> remember you know we're seeing a show that's uh uh 25 years after and in Star Trek time, it's a hundred years. 
after. Yeah. You know, you bring up something really interesting that I hadn't thought about, but it's it's so true. He wouldn't get that part today. I don't mean the part of Korra because that would be, you know, returning him to a role that he'd had before. But right. you're like, oh, yeah, Baltar was, yeah, he was, he was, he was kind of doughey, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, there, yeah, that doesn't yeah. happen today. You don't, yeah. if you have a character on screen who's not, who's, you know, not cut, as you say, um, mm-hmm. then uh, the episode is likely to be about the fact that he's fat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're not going to yeah, have yeah. somebody like uh like like Jake and the Fat Man, for example, although that was, you know, arguably about the fact that he was fat as well. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, no, have, there won't be a canon. There won't be like a, you know, a 290 pound cop. Right. <laughs> right. Taking down bad right. guys. Because right. that's, uh, they just don't make TV that way anymore, John. No, no. I mean, Baltar in 2004 is just like you know, essentially like English uh, fashion model. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know? I honestly, when that first started, I thought he was uh, Alexander Siddick. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look for that on our Battlestar Galactica podcast. Uh, which is never going to happen ever. Okay. Uh, some great lines here. Uh, of course, we have to mention Odo and Koloth. How did you get in here? I am Koloth. That doesn't answer my question. Yes, it does. Just uh, a no, it doesn't. Fantastic, <laughs> just a fantastic line. Could have been the rest of the episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, yeah. it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. <laughs> Act four. They're still at it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a great spinoff show. You know, maybe it's maybe it's just that uh, Koloth is the sneakiest of all the Klingons, which it really mm-hmm. isn't saying much if you've watched Klingons move around. I mean, they're <laughs> right. not. Not the stealthiest of people. No. You no. know, maybe, you know, his yeah. not singing while entering could make him the stealthiest of Klingons. You'd still think that Odo would have noticed. And what, by the way, is a Klingon Dahar master? And why would Odo even back down in the presence of one? Well, a Klingon Dahar master obviously is one who has mastered the art of not singing when you enter a room. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. As far as why Odo would back down in front of one, though, yeah, I don't know. That was kind of weird because he had been, well, actually, go back to the very first scene, though. He knows more about the battle than Quark, who is, you know, selling the Holosuite time for it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't roust Kor out the way he would a normal drunk. He, you know, he plays to his vanity. He plays to the fantasy that he's living in. Yeah. I don't know if he knows what a Dahar master is, but he's like, oh, that sounds like an honorific. Maybe I should honor it. As opposed to, you know, having him right. run me through with a batleth, which will just go straight through me because, you know, I'm water, basically. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's easier to be it's easier to be nice and you know, give him what he wants than, you know, stand there and fight for no reason. Well, it, it's just interesting that, you know, Odo is new to everything. Mm-hmm. He, he was a pile of goo. Then he was in a lab. Next thing you know, he's the constable of a space station. He hasn't gotten out a lot. Um, but he really knows his Klingon stuff. Uh, he might read a lot, though. That's what I'm thinking. He yeah. reads. Yes. He's an avid reader. Lots yeah. of Klingon novels, apparently, or novels that, you know, center a lot more on Klingons than, say, uh, Starfleet captains. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, that and Mickey Spillane. So <laughs> that's true. He knows his Mike Hammer stories and his Klingon lore. You don't so. really know Mike Hammer, though, unless you've read him in the original Klingon. Ah, nice. Thank Very you. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, Ken, for that, I lift my Gaptu to you. <laughs> oh, hey. Yeah. This is a family show, Mr. <laughs> you say no, that? I just, I just said that here in front of everybody. Um, hey, uh, we don't have a lot of food 
in this episode, but Koloff is using his knife to cut through what looks like either cheesecake or tofu with a dyed kind of colored top. Um, and, and in that case, I'll mention that you can actually make a really tasty cheesecake with tofu. Shout out to my friend Ryan. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly what this is. I'm going uh, with I'm it, going with tofu. You're going with tofu? Okay. Yeah, well, the knife came out clean. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if you've ever eaten cheesecake, then you know, right. nothing comes out clean when that's over. At no, least not the way I eat it. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen you eat cheesecake, but this is good to keep in mind. Um, what if it's not a good day to die? What, what if you have things to do tomorrow? Like Everybody has to be on the same page about that. Yeah, even though they yeah. weren't, but they all said they were. I mean, they Zia okay. obviously wasn't on that page, but then all of a sudden she's like, you know, yeah, okay, fine. It's a good day to It's die. part of the thing to talk each other up about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, another good line, an honorable victory is better than an honorable defeat. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would I would agree with that completely and 100%. Yes. Um, this, this truism and more available in the magazine. Duh. Right, yeah. And uh, interesting thing here, their strategy is sound. Uh, Bombard the compound with tetrion particles to disable all energy weapons. Okay, so uh, Star Trek just figured out how to make all use of phasers and disruptors from here on out obsolete. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fortunately, nobody will remember this trick next week. Remind me, though, um, that horrible woman... In uh, Paradise, uh, the cult leader, uh, who they didn't know that they were in a cult, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember what she was running, but she had a machine that was running some sort of something that dampened all uh, technology, basically. It it would be uh, Elixis. Elixis, thank you. Was her name, yeah. And we just turned on Echo devices all across our listening audience. Did you get that message, by the way? <laughs> that whole episode, somebody sent me a message on uh, on Twitter saying, yeah, so the whole time my Echo was just, you know, <laughs> stopping oh, in the middle of what I was doing. Because we kept funny. saying Alexis because her name was Alexis. Thankfully, we didn't say Alexis. Yeah. You know, Fortunately, you didn't say Alexis order for... No, don't, don't, don't say it out loud. Oh, no, don't, oh, don't say it out say loud that. because that oh, might okay. actually happen. Okay. I was leading up to that, but right. <laughs> uh, thankfully, we did not do that yes. that time. Although, right. you know, April 1st is coming up. So. <laughs> but was, I mean, remind me, was that a Tetrion thing that they were doing? Because, it, I mean, she had some way to basically stop all technology. Star Trek is apparently regularly forgetting ways to defeat the enemy. Yeah, yeah. She had that down. I mean, it, it not only ruined weapons, but also their scientific instruments as well. Just yeah, everything. anything electronic. Yeah. It knocked, so, out, it knocked out their ship's engines on the way down, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 So you could just build a couple of starships that have that. Just just make sure they're way far away from the ship before you turn them on. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It'd be a good way to uh, to take on the Borg as well. I'm just saying, you know, hmm. a lot of good ways to do that. Yeah. Mm hmm. That's interesting. Just cut the power. Yeah. Power, that's it. Man, if they ever do a Borg movie or another series or something, they should really remember that. See, they should. They absolutely should. Hey, uh, at the Albino's lair, um, so he's got a a couple of aliens who are working with him, but uh, the Albino's guards, uh, they're just dudes. They're just guys. They they also they, they look like they're wearing rented costumes that probably were on Buck Rogers at one point. And look, I know that I am the resident Buck Rogers expert for uh, Mission Log. I can't place these specifically, but they're like that. I'm just saying. You're not you're not wrong. They are very reminiscent of that. 
I did have um, one other thought about this episode. Yeah. I couldn't help thinking uh, with her rich understanding of Klingon honor. Mm-hmm. I'll bet Jadzia and Worf would really hit it off. Now, oh. it's too bad that they have different posts, right? Yeah. Because I will bet yeah. that these two would get on like a house on fire um, uh-huh. if they ever met. But, you know, how could they? Because he's on the Enterprise and she's on Deep Space right. Nine. Yeah. And Neri the twain shall meet. Ken just did, talking about Jadzia and Worf. That was not foreshadowing. That was a shadowing, or four to the fourth power shadowing. So like 13 shadowing or something. We'll get back to Blood Oath in a moment, but first... But first, we're happy to welcome a new sponsor to Mission Log. It's ExpressVPN. Uh, John, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you use public Wi-Fi? Say, you know, coffee shop, airport, hotel, places like that. Do you, John Champion, use public Wi-Fi? Uh, you, you can say all of those places and theme parks, too. Why, yes. Yes, I do use public Wi-Fi. And, of course, um, well, I should ask. I shouldn't say, of course. Uh, do you use a VPN when you do? Ah, uh. Okay, I, uh, hmm. yeah, I don't know that I really want to answer that question right now. Really? Yeah. Okay, two things. First of all, you're killing me. Mm-hmm. And second, I have something that I do want you to try out. Okay. ExpressVPN. I don't know if you heard they're actually sponsoring this week's show. How convenient. Yeah, I know. See, here's the thing. And I've been doing a security podcast now for a couple of years, and I'm sort of the layman. I'm the guy who doesn't know a lot about security. But what I do know is making online purchases, you know, accessing your email, especially on public Wi-Fi, like in an airport or a hotel or a coffee shop, all that can put your private information at risk. Bad guys, big corporations both way interested in where you go online, maybe to steal your information, maybe to sell your information. I don't care what they want to do with it, though. The thing is, I want my information to be mine. I want what I say to the people that I'm talking to online to be between me and those people or, you know, those stores or those banks, let's say. So you can take back your privacy with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps for your computer, your phone, your tablet. In fact, installing ExpressVPN on my Mac was super simple. And using it... Well, I mean, a lot of times the way that I know I'm using a VPN is because... Uh, you know, um, everything goes slower. For example, this call that we are having right now... With VPNs that I've used in the past, I have not been able to make a FaceTime audio call or a Skype call or something like that. So I've actually had to turn off my VPN to, you know, do what I need to do if I'm out traveling or something. I am right now talking to you using ExpressVPN, and I've taken absolutely no hit on my speed. And and I I can actually hear you. So that's... that's (laughs) You can actually hear me. That's That's right. We're talking in in what the kids call real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Turning on ExpressVPN is super simple. It's one click on your machine. Protecting yourself with it costs less than seven bucks a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and ExpressVPN comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So, if you ever use public Wi-Fi, John, 
and want to keep I, hackers. I feel very singled out here. No, yes. yeah, it's only because I happen to be talking to you right this moment. But seriously, yeah. if you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is a solution. Now, I've been talking a lot about what we do in public, but here's the thing. If you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet service provider or, you know, data resellers who might be in bed with them, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N, expressvpn.com slash mission log for three months free with a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. So we've talked before about fan service. If memory serves, we said we weren't sure how to define it exactly, but we sort of, you know, uh, felt it when we saw it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, was this episode fan service as far as you're concerned? And then follow up question, if it was, are you okay with it? Um, I actually am going to say that it's not fan service. We, we, We will come across an episode that I do feel like is fan service. Um maybe in the same series. Uh, but maybe it's partly from looking at the trivia and knowing that they, they started with the story. They, they started with the idea of uh, Magnificent Seven slash Seven Samurai, and they wanted to build that kind of tale. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just seemed like, hey, what if we take that idea, but we have this rich history of characters we can plug in? Mm-hmm. Let's do that. And and let's um, we're not having to relive moments with those characters. We don't have to have anybody say, hey, remember that time on K7 when uh, when Kirk and the little fuzzy things? And remember, he put all of those on your ship oh, or or, hey, remember that time that you were there on the Enterprise and that glowing red ball uh, would just get more powerful. The anger you got you know, like we don't have to do any of that. All we have to do is say these are old Klingons. Right. And and that's fine because they could have been any old Klingons. That's true. Um, that's so true. I'm, you don't. Yeah. You, like you could watch this episode having never seen because, I mean, let's face it. It's me. All right. I remember <laughs> Core. I remember Core pretty well. I don't remember yeah. Koloth and I don't remember Kang. I just don't. And I wish I did, but I yeah. don't. And you mentioned all those things. And I'm like, all right. And so then they had to laugh at, you know, whatever. So, I mean, there's nothing like he's not like the laughing Klingon all of a sudden to, to like <laughs> to call back to that. Right. So, so OK. So. Uh, so yeah, good call. It, it's not like I thought it was, but I thought an argument could be made for it. But yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I get your distinction and I appreciate your distinction. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you're wrong to question that, because that, that's sort of the burden of Star Trek, though, is that you have this huge history and and fans love to put together all of these pieces like uh, like, for example, why do these Klingons look different than those other Klingons? Well, we better figure out a way to justify why these Klingons look different from those other Klingons or else it's just going to ruin Star Trek for me and we can't have that. Yeah. You know, so so I I, I get it. And, and that is the difficulty with a 50 year old franchise at the time, a little more than a 25 year old franchise, that you have all this stuff that you have to consider. And at a certain point, it's just like, well, 
all right, can can we just pick and choose? And we say, well, yeah. we have these characters. And more importantly, we have these really strong actors. Mm-hmm. You, you know, fortunately, they even if all three of them aren't memorable for you, at least one of them is memorable enough. And for somebody else, another one is memorable enough. That you go, oh, yeah, that that voice or that 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 attitude that he brings. Yeah, I get that. And that sort of makes the connection for me. Let me ask you uh, just just going along the same line. And I'm guessing the answer is no, because of the way you just answered that. But do you have a problem with three of the strongest Klingons from TOS? Oh, it turns out they all knew each other. And it turns out they're on a blood oath. And it turns out that one of the, uh, I don't know, two Federation people, three, I'm sorry, three Federation people that we know from (laughs) DS9 uh, happens to have known all three of them as well. Is part of it. Right, right. Well, remember, we've had more than 100 years for this to take shape. Yeah, that's true. uh, Here's the thing, because I'm asking all those questions and I don't Mm -hmm. have a problem with it. In fact, I got a little bit excited, Mm -hmm. honestly, like seeing Jadzia, who's 29, 30 years old, sitting there with Kor, who I do remember from TOS. And it's really the first time, I mean, despite the fact that they're like, oh, yes, Dax is 300 years old and it's been all these places and done all these things. This was honestly the first episode where I thought, and she might have bumped into Kirk someplace. Not that she did, you know, or she might have bumped into Spock someplace. Or maybe she and Uhura were out drinking one time and, you know, he was hitting on her because he was some male... trill at the time <laughs> right and right. she was like hands off i mean there's it, 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 this was the first time that despite the fact that we've heard that dax is as old as dax is that i could really go oh yeah one of her past you know incarnations one of her past hosts you mm-hmm. know could have been somebody who was just like you know hitching a lift from one place to another on the reliant yeah now see i i get it because yeah you you and i have had this discussion about other star trek where you okay well why are we rehashing the same characters it's a big universe you could literally have anybody Mm -hmm. um but in this case i i kind of look at it as well we we haven't had so far on ds9 a lot of reference to other trek and i'm i'm good with that because they are trying to establish very much their own world there on that station and trying to give you the impression that you are removed uh physically from the other stuff that we've seen so far so i i I get that and, and i appreciate that about this show but then i also think okay well if you're telling a story the whole goal of the story is that each week we're seeing that 48 of the most interesting minutes that happened, you know, from week to week. And we're talking here again about a hundred years since we've seen these Klingons. And, and in that hundred years, a lot has happened. There's a lot of downtime for them also, we assume. But what we need to see here in this 45 to 48 minutes is the most interesting part where all of this stuff comes together. So um, I'm I'm totally good with that. And, and again, a lot of it, I feel like I'm kind of skipping ahead toward the end here of, of our show. But just by saying that it it also comes down to the strengths of the episode, the strengths of the actors, uh, the writing overall. It's a pretty straightforward story. Yeah, we're on this mission. Are you a part of it or not? If you're a part of it, are you compromising your morals by doing that? Very straightforward stuff. But. It works. It all could. There, I just skipped to the end. I'm sorry. Let's talk about something else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Talk to me about, um, talk to me. I mean, this is in a weird way, another one of those trill episodes, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, I was going to ask you then uh, a question about how you feel about Dax versus Jadzia in this episode, because I I like that DS9 has its Spock in Jadzia. And I know that you could make that argument, uh, uh, you know, each series, Star Trek had Spock, Next Generation had Data, the character finding its humanity or, or trying to make itself whole. And you could say in DS9, well, well Odo is kind of like that. Odo is trying to find himself. But, but Dax is split between these two personalities. Dax is split between the Dax symbiont and the Jadzia host and the influences of every other host that was there before. Mm-hmm. I love that idea because as a science fiction construct, it's great, but as a way to look at a, a, an aspect of humanity, an aspect of the human character, it's also a really strong literary device. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, though, and this is really more of a rhetorical question, but do they play too fast and loose with this, where, where one week it's, uh, oh, well, well, Dax is calling all the shots here. This drive that Dax has is super strong. The other week, it's Jadzia. Jadzia is calling all the shots because Jadzia has more control over the symbiont this week. Hmm. I'll tell you what I've been wondering about, and I think we talked about it a little bit in um, in playing God. What I've been wondering about is, do we view the symbionts as lineage? Do we view the symbionts as history? I mean, as a literary device, as a as a as a device for moving the show along. Like I wondered watching this episode is Dax, not so much a living thing inside Jadzia, but like a living name, you know, like, like Kennedy is in real life or, or Lannister is in fiction, a name that's so big that in a lot of ways it defines anybody who wears it. Cause I, I get, I get what you're saying, but that's what I sort of found myself wondering in the whole trill aspect of this, because I, I, as much as I say, I really like the fact that her hanging out with these three Klingons 80 years ago gives me sort of that time frame. Uh, at the same time, it's hard for me to imagine any Klingon being so cool with any human, at least the way we saw them in TOS. Now, granted, yeah. just like yeah. you just said about DS9, we're seeing the most interesting 48 minutes. There's a lot going on in the Star Trek universe, even from 67 to 69, or 66 to 69, excuse me. So, I mean, there would be a lot of things that we wouldn't know about at the same time. They were just so, you know, uh, cold dealing. It's hard to imagine Chadzia getting anywhere near these Klingons. But does this episode speak to what we owe to whom based on what came before? Is this about... I am this kind of person, so I do this thing, or my name is this, so I'm bound by this thing. I mean, is it about is it about our history, even if it's not our personal history? Or mm-hmm. do you view the Dax, I mean, do you view the symbiont thing as, nope, they're really two different personalities? Or is the symbiont story in DS9 about Jadzia either living up to or you know, breaking away from her name? Well, so there you go. So breaking away from, I, I, I have to wonder at what point does, you know, does the character have a moral evolution 
Mm-hmm. In that case, and not just her, but but that's sort of what Star Trek is all about, right? You know, we're looking at this human journey. How do we get to be the better person? So, you know, how seriously should anyone take this promise? I mean, so there's a moral principle here at stake with a promise. And and that is tied up in, in ideas of integrity and trustworthiness and loyalty, all of which are good, strong values. But <laughs> what if that promise is superseded by a different moral principle? Like, uh, oh, let's take, for example, not to kill <laughs> or, or, or to allow this evolved form of justice to hopefully take its course. You know, look, it, it's a Klingon story, so we automatically assign it the, this different layer of moral principles that are in effect. It's not a Starfleet story. So if it were a Starfleet story, you know, uh, uh, Captain Picard is going to do something like, uh, you know, put up the, the cones around the planet and, and hopefully Starfleet authorities or whatever other authorities at play goes in and cleans up the mess. And, and those who need to be uh, prosecuted get prosecuted and, and then we're done. Unless it's Kevin Uxbridge and you just throw up your hands and go, I don't know what to do here. Right. Um, so that was sort of where I landed on it, which is sort of going back to what you're asking here. You know, how how important are we saying that? Well, well, the promise is the promise, but the promise belongs to somebody else. So are we giving it that much weight just because it is the name? It is the thing that happened before. When do we get to step back a moment and say, ah, but you know what, this other moral principle actually outweighs that other moral principle? Yeah, pass. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, because here's the thing. When we did Playing God, the thing that Jadzia was most proud of was the fact that she wasn't Curzon. I mean, that's how it ends. She was not Curzon. She walks away saying, I'm not Curzon. Oh, okay, but this week I'm in a bay. Which, I mean, and and maybe, I mean, and that could be, look, I don't have a particularly storied lineage, you know? My last name isn't Kennedy. My last name (laughs) isn't anything big. No ancestor of mine of which I know has made some sort of promise by which I'm bound. And so I can't really, you know, I can't answer this question. It was just, it was just kind of... um, it was just kind of the thing that that came up to me. I mean, if we're assuming that the, if we're assuming that the that the host symbiont relationship is anything besides a neat scientific or science fiction construct, if we're assuming mm-hmm. that somebody is trying to illustrate something, which we've debated whether or not DS nine is trying to illustrate anything in particular, when I the more I see about the Dax um, symbiont, the more I think we're actually talking about what we owe to our past versus what we owe to ourself. Um, there's a fantastic line in, uh, what is it? It's up on the screen in Fargo. I think it was Fargo. And the line is, um, to the dead, we owe respect to the living, only the truth. Or maybe it's the other way around. I don't remember, mm. honestly. Mm. But I like that idea in a way. You know, okay, honor your past if you want to, but don't be bound by it. And that's that's sort of the more I see about uh, about the troll, the more I think maybe that's what we're going for here. Otherwise, uh, you know, then it's just a it's just a get out of jail free card, right? Right. right. Like, oh yeah, right. no, no, I took care of that eighty years ago. Oh, okay, well. 
Thank God you're here. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Cisco just a little bit, because um, you, you, you touched on it uh, in the in the, the story recap. Um, what about Jadzia's responsibility to Cisco? And what about Cisco's sort of jurisdiction here? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he could have ordered her to stay. Right. Um, and really, she would have lost no face during that. Uh, but he didn't because he's not going to because this is a drama and we have to build the drama. We can't just stop it in the middle of the action here. Um, but I, I I really do question what's going on with Cisco here. Cisco, yes, he has this history, this loyalty to Dax because of Curzon Dax. But as we've said over and over again, this is a different character. This is a different version of that character. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I, I really, I, I'm not sure what to make of Cisco here, and particularly that very ambiguous ending, which I, I'm fine with an ambiguous ending. Uh, just uh, she's back to work, and it's like, okay, uh, just go over there and do the, do the thing, and we won't talk about it. I'll tell you, it reminded me of all the times that we talked about members of um, the Enterprise D crew who should have lost their jobs. Right. Mm. Because of mm-hmm. something they did. I mean, Data taking over the ship, uh, Riker trying to bust his girlfriend out of jail, uh, Worf straight up killing a guy in front of Riker. You know, little things. Yeah. And yeah. this is an extrajudicial killing that Dax is going to go take part in. Um, mm-hmm. Dax, a Starfleet officer at this point. I know she may not have been, you know, under Curzon or when she was riding around in Curzon and she won't be again right. when she's a he riding around in someone else necessarily. But I mean, a, a Starfleet officer is going to go out on an extrajudicial killing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think Cisco would be within his rights to stop that at that point because they're still in Starfleet. Right. I mean, yeah. he, he I mean, I, I got to figure that if somebody higher up than Cisco finds out that he let that happen, then his running DS9 is in jeopardy as well. Now, as you pointed out, I mean, this isn't going to happen. It was a bit of drama that had to be in this drama show because drama, drama, drama. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, realistically, like, I mean, is has Cisco been too long on the frontier? I mean, what's, <laughs> what's going on that this is like, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's a thing that we let happen. Yeah. Well, and remember, we, we kind of let Jadzia off the hook because Jadzia doesn't actually kill the albino, but... Jadzia kills some guards, yeah. at least one guard. Right. So it's like uh, that whole talk that she had with Kira about, oh, yeah, killing a person is terrible. You lose part of yourself. and like, But, but it seems like the episode is sort of like, well, it would be really terrible if she were the one who killed the albino out of vengeance. But as long as it's a no-name guard, then uh, she can live with that. Well, also, I mean, she distracted the albino, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if she distracted the albino to let Kang kill the albino, or if she really couldn't kill him. But this wasn't the same sort of this wasn't the same sort of ambiguity as you had in uh, the most toys, right? Yeah, right. At the end right. of it, we don't know for certain whether Data intentionally, whatever, blah blah blah. We think we know, but we don't know. I mean, here we really, here we really don't know. But either way, the albino is going to die, right? Yeah, yeah. Either yeah. way, I mean, she is 
I mean, you could argue either way she's responsible for his death. Okay, so she didn't, you know, swing the blade. Uh, but, but you know, she held him still while the other guy did. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So I, I want to just return very briefly to this uh, Cisco thing because I, I just had an idea. I'm trying to put this into real world terms mm-hmm. and trying to, try to think through this. So if you, um, you, you're at work and you have a boss and you say to your boss, like, hey, I'm taking this vacation time. I'm going to go to another country <laughs> and do this thing that here would be horribly illegal. But over there, it's perfectly fine. Because it's their rules, and, uh, and, and, and that's just the way it is, and uh, they're fine with that. In this case, a Klingon blood oath where, like, under the Klingon rules, like, yeah, this is fine. This is just what we do. This, this, is, this is how we operate. And uh, your boss might say, like, yeah, I really discourage you from doing this terribly <laughs> illegal thing. And like, yeah, but, uh, but I, I'm cashing in my vacation hours right. uh, to go do this thing. Then I, I guess you got no say in it at the end. Well, I mean, it's only illegal there, though, right? I mean, here's the mm-hmm. thing. You're talking mm-hmm. about murder. That's a little bit different. Like like here, I don't know. Let's say you live in a dry county. It's illegal for mm-hmm. you to drink in your county, but you can go one county over and you can drink there. Can your boss right. stop you from going to drink in the other county because it's illegal where you happen to be? I'd say there's a difference between that and uh, murder, mm-hmm. which is going to be illegal most any place and also... Well, maybe maybe there is no difference, but man alive, you're you're going down a, a really steep, really slippery slope. You, you, you are. I, I'm going to say uh, they could use a good counselor. With two of the three Klingons dead, and the albino dead, and Jadzia back at her post. It is time to see what we can take from Blood Oath. Blood Oath, John. The episode is called Blood Oath. I'm not sure if you know the episode is called Blood Oath, but uh, if, if you don't, just remember the thing they say more in this episode, more than the word the... <laughs> are the words together blood oaths and i'm curious john uh this episode uh blood oath uh, by the way i don't think we need to discuss the title that much. <laughs> uh, but in case it did escape anyone uh these klingons and dax took a uh took a blood oath oh good the blood oath yeah and that's, that's, that's why got they it. call it that's why they call it booby trap. Uh, Blood Oath, John, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? I, yeah, quick note here, Ken. Uh, they did change the look of the Klingons in this Wait episode. Wait a minute. Yeah, what? I know. Just ruining all Star Trek that came before and after. Um, I still, I, I question whether the words Star and Trek should be part of the title. Uh, um, they, should, they should be separated like the words Blood and Oath, and if oath. you ask me. Yeah. Um, but I, I, seriously, for a second, though, uh, it, there was a time leading up to production where they thought just for a second they, they considered making the old Klingons look like the old Klingons from TOS. Uh, but ultimately, and I think wisely, they decided not to. Um, yeah. Wow. That strikes me as a terrible idea, because here's the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you may have people who are purists who say, no, 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 Klingons look like TOS Klingons and that's it. If you would suddenly introduce these guys and be like, no, they're Klingons, too. 
Yeah, no. That 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 would be a that would be a battle that would still be raging today. Yeah, uh, uh, not not unlike all the other do Klingons <laughs> look like Klingons battles that are still <laughs> raging today. Yeah, and, and I will still come down firmly on the side of uh, still don't care. No. Still don't care. Yeah, uh, they are great actors. Uh, every one of them, and it doesn't matter how they look, and that goes for anyone playing a Klingon, or a Klingon, for that matter, <laughs> if they're playing either one of those races. Um, this is a, as I stated before, a very well-written episode, a very well-acted episode, some great cinematography in this episode, too. Um, and, and I feel like the music was on point. You can just tell that everybody was having fun with it. And because they were invested in it and having fun with it, they they let their creative muscles flex a little bit. Um, so they just they, they told a good yarn here, Ken. And um, it was a pleasure to watch. It definitely holds up. And here's the thing. It holds up, as I said, even if you don't know that these are TOS Klingons, because that's immaterial. It's a nice little thing for somebody who has watched all of Star Trek to go, oh, look, we get to sort of welcome these friends back. Mm. Um, so that's fine, but it works on its own, even if you don't have that, which I think also is a mark of the the very good writing that they started with for this one. Uh so I, I think it works well. There are a lot of great lines in this. The the oft-repeated Klingon phrase of it's a good uh, good day to die. I like that Dax follows that up with uh, it's never a good day to lose a friend. Felt like that, that uh, Klingon line needed a little tempering there. Um, there was a lot to discuss here as well. We, we kind of even did, didn't get into something that I find interesting, which is that Klingon preoccupation with the glory of dying in battle. Mm-hmm. Um, because, look, I, I love cultural relativism as much as anybody, but it just seems like that might be a little short-sighted. Uh, but it's another discussion for another day. There's stuff to talk about here. But there's also stuff to be entertained by here. Uh, so definitely holds up for me. Uh, how about you, Ken? Well, I mean, really quickly with your whole thing about, um, you know, the Klingons uh, dying in battle and such. I mean, there is there is a fantastic line that uh, Jadzia throws at um, Kang. I think it was. Uh, you Klingons talk too much about death. You embrace it like a lover. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you know, and that's not just a Klingon thing. I mean, it's not like all Americans do that or all, you know, French do that or all, you know, name another nationality or name another um, yeah, upbringing uh, that does that. I mean, there are people who sort of do that. And she does, you know, come back with a lesson about, hey, why not try living <laughs> you know, with mm-hmm. honor? Yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of an interesting thing there. Yeah, I would say the episode holds up if I have any problem with it. It is it is the non-existence of of Starfleet in this episode that has to do with a Starfleet officer going off to kill somebody. I mean, that might be my only problem, but I guess we're going to have to let it go because it's drama for drama's sake. Maybe it'll carry over. Maybe it shows up again next episode. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. If Cisco is, you know, still slapping Jadzia on the back and doing the whole old man thing without at least a couple of episodes of, oh, yeah, but you did go kill a guy, you know, then yeah, that would be yeah. a little bit disappointing. But, I mean, that's, um, well, borrowing trouble, as people say. I don't know how that's going to play out, so we'll let it ride for the time being. Yeah. The Klingons are a lot of fun. 
there was a minute for me of like, okay, can we either go ahead and get on to the mission or have them go ahead and leave on the mission and have Jadzia deal with it? You've basically got two acts of her trying to talk them or maybe even three acts of her trying to talk them into letting her go with them. But we learn a lot more about each character in that time. And you're right. The acting is, is powerhouse. Um, so, yeah, I would say the episode holds up. And then, as you say as well, I mean, there, I don't think there is a delivered message here. I don't think there's a delivered meaning here. But the idea of, you know, what do we owe to whom based on the past mm-hmm. is an interesting one to consider. One that we've talked about before with Jadzia. And uh, probably one that we can all address for ourselves, you know, in our own day to day. Well, and let's sort of tie that into our overall look at DS9. So you and I have had this discussion since the beginning of our look at DS9, which is this is not necessarily a show that episode by episode has morals, meanings, messages of the week. Um, But this particular episode is one that does something really well, which is to present this sort of moral quandary this moral question throw it at a character and then let us play with the right and wrong of it and and i'm good that we don't land on a uh, a uc timmy moment uh, i'm glad that we don't land there because it's much more interesting to say look either way there will be consequences to this weird and difficult conundrum that is faced by Dax. Um, so really what it comes down to is how do we weigh out the moral value of those choices that are given? Um, I, I think this does that very effectively. And uh, again, totally okay that we don't land on a solid moral meaning message. Can I ask a question then? Would it have been yeah. better to have her away on shore leave? Well, not shore leave because she's not on a ship, but would it have been mm-hmm. better to have her someplace else? Would it have been better to take, yeah, Kira and Odo and Cisco out of it. Hmm. Oh, interesting. So she starts out someplace other than the station. Yeah. And yeah. just has to weigh it out that way. So we don't even have the difficulty of a commander saying this is not a good idea. Because that's that that honestly is the only problem I have with the episode, but it's kind of a big sticking point for me. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was difficult for Picard to let Riker go. And, you know, uh, kidnap, uh, I can't remember her name now, but, uh, but the, the, uh, well, not the woman, uh, the, the, the person who was identifying as a woman who was in love with Riker, who Riker was in love with as well. Oh right? yeah. Uh, from the outcast. Yeah. From the outcast. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, it was difficult for Picard to let him go do that, mm-hmm. but you know, Riker was able to talk him into it, whatever. And it was going to be on his personal time anyway. And he wasn't going to kill a guy. Right. 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 I mean, I I, I honestly kind of wish that that DS9 weren't in this episode of DS9. Rather, Mm -hmm. you know, it starts off with, you know, uh, science officer's log or personal log or whatever. I'm on my way uh, to meet an old friend, an unexpected message from however long ago. I mean, uh, look, I like this episode. I really love this episode. I kind of wish we did not have that one thing in there because that one thing it is a pretty big thing. Like, you know, right, who who right. gets to go away and kill somebody next week? 
and have Cisco look the other way, right? I mean, this is yeah. at some point he's going to say, "Well, this is getting out of hand." Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, they have a hollow suite that they can go get out those aggressions without hopefully killing someone. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Hey, if you want to check out some really cool Star Trek podcasts in addition to this one, you should check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Track Files, podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support Mission Log directly, that'd be neat. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place for that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at Trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, The McKee, Part 1 and Part 2. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. For fun, listen again, and count the number of times the words Blood Oath are said. I count 394, but I might have missed a couple. And transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.